good whatever time of the day it is you happen to be listening this is the pna podcast express with a special edition interview with director steve moon director of out of the fight a uh, very interesting movie a um, little out of character type of uh, episode for us a little more serious subject matter than uh, every episode we've ever done but very important nonetheless, and we hope you enjoy it. We're going to start the episode here in progress. We had a little bit of technical difficulty at the very beginning with the audio, uh, with Steve's cell phone calling in, uh, but it evened out, and we still have a huge chunk of the interview to bring you. So we're going to bring that to you now. Uh, interview with director Steve Moon from Out of the Fight. And we'll start that here in progress. And I, I feel like you, you also covered that very well in the movie. And, and I think that, that couldn't have been easy to address or broach, too. But it, it, it happens. That's real life. And I think that's one of the nice things about your movie, Out of the Fight. What it does is it, it, you really don't sugarcoat anything. No, we tried to keep it real. Um, the way we shot it also, and I'm so glad you said that, because so many movies, like Hollywood, I, I'm doing the finger quotes, but Hollywood wants you to Hollywoodize it so it'll spill. And so it'll get more people in seats so that they make a lot of money, the distributors make a lot of money. Yep. And I told them I couldn't do it, but we had distributors on the front end that were looking at the trailer and stuff as we were filming, or the sizzle reel, the teaser, whatever you want to call it. And they were like, well, I think it needs this, and I think it needs that. And like, no, this movie is real. So we shot it in a guerrilla film style, mm-hmm. which is a lot of handheld stuff, uh, because it draws you in. If you ever saw the movie The Wrestler um, with Mickey Rourke, Yes, of course. The style yeah. what kind of um, influenced my style because if you put the camera behind a character, you are introducing to the audience what that character sees the minute he sees it. So you're seeing it for the first time, just like he's seeing it. So when Jordan, when um, Emily walks into the support group, the camera's behind her. That's the first time she's ever been in that room. So what does she see? We see it as she sees it. So uh, we looked at a lot of YouTube videos. The opening sequence is basically a replica of what happened if you type in on youtube marja afghanistan mm-hmm. marines marja, afghanistan marines it'll pull up about a five minute video that is so i did that was the inspiration of my opening scene because you've got two guys i don't want to give too much away but you've got two soldiers that, that are walking and just talking to each other like you and i are talking to each other you know um yep. i think the first line is i believe you dropped your weapon what an idiot you know they're not talking about hey hollywood look over there somebody's shooting at us we're not doing any of that we are just bringing it to you as if you know you were there with your old video camera following your best friend so uh we we did a lot of that and we hope that that brings a lot of things to home because you never really think about a style you know you think okay here's a director of photography he's got a camera let's just put the camera here and show them what we're doing we want to we want to bring people into this so that you become a part of it as well as 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 well as the characters. Well, and you mentioned that you had combat veterans on uh, on set. Did you get input from them and, and and get feedback from them on the realism that you you brought into the film and and uh, you know some some of their input on on how how it was to be in that situation? I mean, because let's face it, a lot of people, you know that that's not a that's not a common right. thing to run into a people that, that they've been in combat. I mean, it was probably much more common years ago when you had a lot of the World War II veterans and Korean War veterans, but now combat's a little bit different. So to have a combat veteran's input on that had to be, uh, you know, it had to be very important on that, I would think. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because that, that, there's many ways to answer that question. One, I want to press that when we wrote the script, we sent it to, let's call it the powers that be. I don't know if it was a marketing department or what it is, but it's the PR people of the Army, the Marines, and the Navy. We didn't show it to the Air Force because we really didn't think it was applicable. No offense to the Air Force, but, you know, right. you hear more about to get the boots on the ground. So we sent the script to them, and they all approved. They were all like, "This is yeah, this is great, this is real, this is... This is good. If you can get this movie in into the audience, we approve of this script. So that's where that started. But the combat veterans, uh, uh, they well, we we had veterans also that were behind the scenes when we were writing the script. But on the day that we were shooting all those, to answer your question, ten minutes later, uh, mm -hmm. I ha I have a hernia. So that's part of the story. I have a hernia, and it had somehow descended or whatever the word is. And I couldn't walk that day. I was in so much pain, I was unscribbled. I could not walk. So I was literally laying down, uh, looking at Video Village, and Video Village, in, in layman's terms, are the monitors that we watch that are connected to the cameras. Come on in. That are connected to the cameras. Mm -hmm. So that I could do it. So my director of photography, like I said, we've been working together for 20 years. He knew exactly how I wanted the scene to look. So he was directing that. But here's the thing. Uh, we had all the combat veterans. We were rehearsing everything, and I told them this. I'm not directing this. Joe's only directing for placement of camera and placement of, of actors or talent. We call them talent. Um, but you guys are just doing what you would normally do, and we're just going to let Joe and um, Sterling shoot it. So he's like, that's great. So everything you saw out there was pretty much what they did or talked about in combat. So when you hear, you know, check your right, check your guns, things like that. That's everything that they would say that is not scripted, that is all real. Um, and I think when they saw, we call it playback, when they saw playback, we only had to do, at most, two takes of every combat scene because they nailed it. I mean, that's the life that they lived. So those were, were surprisingly easy to shoot. Uh, not surprisingly, they were... They were they were hard to shoot, uh, mentally fatiguing right. well, to shoot. Th their muscle mem memory and training all had kicked in at that point. They knew what to do to make it look real because that was the situation they were in for so long. But like you said, just the emotional aspect of having oh, to go back to that point. Yeah, and, and again, we don't do the Hollywood thing because I've seen so many movies where somebody gets shot and they're like, oh, let's get to him and blah, blah, blah. And, oh, he's bleeding out and all this. And, and they literally, I was like, what do you do? Because Jason, the character, and this is not going to give anything away, but Jason, the, the, the actor, as the actor's character's, mm -hmm. wait, the actor's Randy, Jason's the character, uh, he has to get shot. And they said, well, what happens when he gets shot? They just yell, hey, I'm down, and somebody goes to grab him, and they take him somewhere safe, safe and yep. everybody else to fight. And it's just yep. amazing. We don't think about it. If, if you and I were at a grocery store and you got shot, I would be in such a panic and I wouldn't know what to do. But these guys are prepared for it. He gets shot, okay, we just drag him off and keep fighting. Yep. And um, metal, we, we can't relate to that. No. The mental toughness that they have to have, I mean, like you said, if, if you were in a grocery store and, and um, you know, if I was in there with you and you got shot, I'm probably over by the uh, Twinkies. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah. you know. I'm curled in the fetal position. Yeah, yeah, I'm just, I'm looking for a comfort food and a safe place to sit. And, uh, you know, those yep. guys, those guys, let their training kick in and um you know they, they they do what needs to happen to help anybody that they can but at the same time stay alive themselves and it just has to be such a uh, a pull in all directions uh when when oh. things like that are going on 
and, and there's no fear because, and I, I, that, you know, that's an overstatement. Of course there's fear, you know, but there's no fear in doing the right thing because they are going to be the ones that will die protecting the person they love, and it's going to be the person to the right or the person to the left of them. And, uh, and, and that's what they did, and it was so beautifully, you know, uh, it was just magic just to watch it all happen. It's just like watching this dance unfold. And then you start thinking, wow, they really did that because these are combat veterans. This really happened to them. Um, and then, uh, and, and then the thing about Out of the Fight, everybody always asks me about the title, Out of the Fight. Um, there's a line in the movie that that word, that phrase is given. And what it really means is out of the fight doesn't mean you're out of the fight on the field. It doesn't mean you're out of the fight mentally where you take your own life. What it means is you are out of the fight of the struggle. Mm -hmm. And that's what people, you know, nobody's really had a problem with the title, but they don't understand the depth of the title. The out of the fight doesn't mean I'm done. Out of the fight doesn't mean I'm ready to put a gun in my mouth. Out of the fight means I am no longer fighting those demons. And now I am truly out of the fight because I've been delivered from that. And there's never that one delivery. There's never that, you know, that, that magic pill or that magic potion that says, okay, this is a Hollywood ending. He's now happy for the rest of his life. No. It just shows that he knows what his demons, what his problems, what, what hurt him and what's tearing him up, what's tearing his family up. And he recognizes that. And he goes out and he's like, okay, I'm not out of the fight yet. I'm going to go do this. And then when that's all I'm going to say about that, because the, yeah. the ending the ending is so beautifully done. My DP and my second unit team went out there and done that because did that because that was our last day of filming. So when you watch the ending, that's Joe Walker all the way. Joe Walker did every bit of that because I was filming the scene with Barry and Barry's girlfriend at the time because we were going to lose that house. And I was telling you that was vandalized. Mm -hmm. That was the last day that we after that, they were bulldozing the house because the um, <laughs> the um, school system had purchased that house right. so they could bulldoze it and knock it over to make a parking lot for the middle school. So I'm like, Joe, we got to get because we don't have this tomorrow. We got to so go. Came back. So we've we've been Adam and I have been involved a little bit in some filming projects. So we get it. You've got to go because sometimes, as you said, uh, things will change, lighting will change, locations will change. You've got to get out there and go when you can go. There's a Dollar General behind right? your uh, Dollar the house. General thing. Bringing up, yeah. So. Uh, and this, then when he came back and he showed it, he showed us the playback. We yeah. were just all just wow. I'm glad that God works the way He does because I probably wouldn't have done what He did, mm -hmm. and He would have said, "No, see, do it this way, do it this way," and then we would have run out of daylight and would have been done. Right. But um, ending the ending, um, you know, people always ask, you know, why didn't you do this or why? Because it's not real. You you, you can't give that magic potion yeah. solution to something like this. And that's one of the things I read in the feedback and I appreciate you explaining it was people are like, well, it wasn't, it wasn't Hollywood enough or it wasn't the ending or some of the scenes, you know, lagged on. I'm like, but that's real life though. That's, it's, that's the poignant part of real life. Life isn't always going to be Hollywood and excitement and all, all, you know, everything all happening at once. Life is the mundane. Exactly. Yeah. So. Well, and everything that's in there uh, for, for your listeners, everything that you see in there is true. Everything that you have seen is a combination. We narrowed it down to 50. There were 50 real stories that were so similar that were like, you know, this is kind of the meat. These 50 families out of the 200 are almost identical stories. Even though the right. 200 were still close, the 50 were, were so identical. It was like, wow, y'all the same family? Because, you know, I've heard this a million times. The only thing that's not true to life in the story is 
um, Jason, the main character, and Barry, mm-hmm. uh, the one that he meets at the support group, never really met in real life. Okay. But outside of that, everything through what Barry went through and his girlfriend, what they went through happened, uh, everything else happened. It, it, it's true to life. Well, you know, I, I have three close friends who've been in, uh, you know, over in, in the Middle East in, in different combat situations. And all of the accounts that I've gotten, that this is a very, very close, um, you know, probably the closest recount of what they've said they've experienced, not only in being there, but, but in coming back, right. you know, and, and trying to get back to, hey, I've, I've got kids here that I've got to deal with and I've got you know I got to go in to a school board meeting and not kill somebody (laughs) (laughs) you know and and it's just not so I mean just the 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 true to life of you know when you I guess what the title meant to me and it was when you say out of the fight it's like I've got to I've got to get out of that fight I've got to I've got to let that part of me go and it's such a hard part for most people to let go because it's such an emotional thing that's going to stick with you forever and uh and to have to come back and and deal with okay well i have to supply the orange wedges at the soccer meet right kind of seems a little bit uh you know just i don't want to say a little bit meaningless but it's it's like wow different perspective of that i i've went you know so i i'm out of that fight now and i've got to find a way to get back to a, a a normalcy Exactly, because if you think about it, no matter what we go through, there is an an oddly ironic, I guess that's the right word, situation uh, or way, there's there's strength and comfort almost in in pain because you're used to it, and to get out of that, you have to change that mindset. And to change that mindset means, wow, I have to go through more anxiety, more pain, more unfamiliarity, to get back what I had. So sometimes, like with me, when I was in my depression, I would be sleeping 18-hour days. My wife would go, my now wife would go to work. I'd wake up with her. Uh, as soon as she leaves, I, I go to sleep, and uh, I sleep until she gets home, and I hear her slam the door, and I get up and unload the dishwasher and pretend that, you know, nothing's <laughs> right. going on. Right. As for me, and it wasn't because I was lazy by any means, but it, to get out of that means I have to find a new strength. And that's hard when the strength that you had before wasn't strong enough to prevent you from being where you are at that moment. I'm I'm right there with you, Steve. I've been in that exact place. I, too, have battled uh, a lot of that depression. I'm a big advocate for therapy and uh, talking to someone, seeking someone out to, to just share your experience with and stories. Uh, it, it, it can mean a lot just to talk, just, just to have a conversation. And that's a scene in the movie where Chris Mullinax's character is uh, Officer Randy Mitchell. He's a... Oh, he's a police detective now in the movie, yeah. and he pulls Randy. Randy is, is drinking in a parking lot, uh, so he goes to check him out, puts him in the car, and he says, "Look, you don't have to go to these meetings. All, uh, even that you don't even have to talk. Sometimes all you have to do is listening, because listening is therapy, just like talking is." Yep. Well, it, it's amazing how powerful just knowing that there's other people. Um, you know, one of the friends I mentioned that that was in combat, he mentioned that he he went to some meetings and and didn't didn't really have a whole lot of input but he said it it was amazing just to know that there's other people that go through the same struggles that i did and he goes that was enough for me to be able to kind of overcome all of that just to know that there is you know other people 
the same things. They're they're experiencing the same issues that I have. Because you, you you know he mentioned you feel very isolated when you come home. You know he couldn't talk to me because I'd never been in those situations. So just knowing that there were other people that felt the same things that he did was very powerful. So you know hopefully any anybody that's been in those situations that that has had you know the difficulties that go along with uh, being a combat veteran. Hopefully you know if anybody hears this, don't be afraid to to seek out people who ha- who have had similar experiences because you'll, you'll find that you go through a lot of the same things you're not feeling as different you're not as different as you feel than some people that have been in similar situations <laughs> well this is one of my little pet peeves that i post on facebook all the time is i believe in prayer i believe in god i believe in jesus christ i believe in all of that mm-hmm. and here's what i my peeve is is i love it when people say i'm praying for you but you know what sometimes you're the answer to prayer so sometimes yep. just the fact Jason can walk into a meeting and think, you know what, there's no reason for me to go to this. My wife wants me to go, okay, screw it, whatever, I'm going to go. But then to meet a character like Barry, then all of a sudden Jason finds himself again because maybe his therapy is helping someone else in pain. Because a lot of times, like with me, with mine, my therapy was in, okay, I'm going to coach community basketball and I'm going to do all those things for others so that they're not feeling the way I'm feeling. So sometimes the best therapy is just doing something for someone else. Be that answer to prayer. Don't just say, hey, buddy, I'm praying for you. Uh, I hope you get through this. Get him through it. And I yep. think that that is Jason makes his breakthrough. And, again, I don't want to give anything away, but I think Jason makes his breakthrough when he finds that servant's heart again. And once he finds that, he knows where to place that. I, I think so, too. So what is, uh, what is next for Steve Moon? What, do you have anything you want to promote now? What are you working on? Anything uh, you want to talk about other on that avenue? Uh, well, let's see. Um, uh, I can say this. I just uh, recently sold a movie called Ocean Overseas. When I say sold, that just means distributed. distributors picked it up, so I'm happy about that. Um, that's one that Joe Walker and I also did together. We kind of uh, Actually, Ocean is what we did right after Out of the Fight. We're like, you know what? Mm-hmm. Let's don't even write any. burned out. We can't write. Let's just go uh, get a couple of actresses that we know, a couple of actors we know. Let's go get us a boat. And let's go make us a movie on the ocean and call it Ocean. And with no script, we'll just make it up as we go along. And I guess uh, in Scandinavia, all of those countries over there, yeah. in that part of the world, like uh, American bikini-clad women that are stranded. So that's sold. Uh, <laughs> it's not a tough formula, huh? <laughs> yeah, oh. so we found a formula. And yeah. then I did a recent film with Michael Pere. You can remember him from Streets of Fire. Mm-hmm. He was Eddie and Eddie Cruisers. We did a film with him called 3.3 Miles that we're, um, I got to go back into the editing suite and just finish, you know, polishing it up a little bit. That's there. I'm in Mississippi, or that's the next one that's being picked up. Um, I'm in Mississippi and Louisiana right now. I can't really talk about that show because it's not mine. I'm just executive in charge of production, making sure that they make their days and all on it. But I do have one that if you do follow out of the fight on Facebook, please send me a friend request. Yep. Um, because I have a little, I want to call it a reel, but it's like just this little minute and a half long video. There's in, in real life, there's what's called a heater, H-E-A-T-E-R heater. I call the movie Heaters. A heater is a 12 to 13-year-old girl that is about to be sold within hours, if not minutes, into the sex trade industry that the task force, task forces across the country are watching online okay. because they're watching all the 
pedophiles that are in this, and it's just it's global right now. We, I mean, we've got um, task force in Illinois that I was working with. Um, we're working with Interpol, just writing the script. And what what's amazing is okay, you're, you've got the task force that is watching the conversation between like a 25 or 30 year old, usually it's 25, 28 year old white male that is, you know, I don't want to get into the TikTok because that's part of it also, but they get into conversations with these young girls that are looking to be famous. And they say, hey, meet me at the bar, meet me in the club. And, uh, you know, I make movies or, you know, I'm an agent or I know agents. And then they go meet them. And then as soon as they meet them, they abduct them. Right. uh, And the first night they turn five to ten tricks. They're drugged up. They're alcoholed up. They're everything. And if they are not caught before they get sold they're either dead by 19 or never found by 19 I was, so anytime you yep. see girls yeah no go ahead no I, I was actually just reading an article that was talking about that and that's the the project i figured you would talk about with human trafficking and combating that so interesting very very interesting go ahead weird how the timing is everything i call it god's timing because judy norton sent me a text today and she helped me write it and she's in the movie and uh she said are you free to talk right now <laughs> so i called her and yeah. Uh, we talked about here's where we were, so ironic the day that I'm on this podcast. But I want to – so send me a friend request because what I would love to do, crowdfunding rarely works. Crowdfunding rarely works. But I would love to get enough funds so that we can get that movie made right. so that people can see it. It's going to be realistic just like out of the fight. It's going to be real. We're showing what happens. I mean, we're showing that, and hey, if we don't get her in 30 minutes, she's already on the way. She's in her car because we see movement on uh, the tracking device on her phone. we got to go get to this park right now or she's gone. And so it, uh, people are blinded by it. The whole, I'll get into TikTok now. TikTok, I don't care <laughs> if you're a conspiracy theorist or not. TikTok funds human trafficking. The money goes into paying people to traffic young kids and I call them kids because 12, 13, you're a kid. Right. And uh, I just tell people all the time, please don't get, oh, you're a conspiracy person. No, I'm working with a task force that has all the data that we've seen. So it's just, you got to be careful. Parents, if you're listening to this, please don't let your kids monitor what they're doing because it is real. It's going on. And, and it is probably America's biggest tragedy uh, other than all the other corruption that's going on. Well, and I can definitely say as a, you know, my, my kids are both grown now. Um, luckily, they, they never got into that whole fad. You know, I, I've got two boys. They're, they're both uh, out of high school, um, and they're not very good looking, so they probably wouldn't be trafficked anyways. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. but, but they, uh, you know, I, I was just always very thankful that they didn't, you know, get into any of that. We're in a pretty secluded area that it's not. Right. probably as popular as other areas are but i do know that we right. have one of the we actually have one of the largest trafficking borders um in the u.s within an hour of us here right um and i oh, wow. I, I actually got to be part of years ago i worked in banking of all industries and i got to be part of a um juvenile sex trafficking bust and it was amazing to watch like the border patrol and the ATF and all these agencies come together. Um, the this guy was a pretty large trafficker, and uh, he was uh, along the Canadian U.S. border. And basically, the, these kids would be transfer, transferred across to Canada, where it was easier to move them because obviously they're 
far away from their parents, even though they're only minutes away. They're across the river. But it was much easier to move them from there to various countries than it was to do it from the U.S. And so they, they just, you know, at, at the time, it was it was a really amazing thing to watch that all happen and how kind of find out how it was happening and how how it worked and uh you know so it, it's a it's one of those one of those scenarios that it's it's amazing the lengths they go through to make exactly, this happen right exactly oh no yes it's ridiculous it's such a you know it's there's such a chain that so it's almost military how it works it's so precise on how that all comes together yeah it, it it's yeah it's extremely, and and just to know how many people were involved. I mean, yeah. the guy the guy that we busted, where I worked at, um, and, and we did it through, you know, the technology portion. He kind of thought he was safe in a bank, not being tracked by anything. Like, okay, I'm inside <laughs> of a bank, so I'm not going to be tracked by everything. Anything, and he was kind of the opposite. He was tracked by everything. everything right? You know, we had keystroke oh, keystroke tracking yeah, the whole deal. <laughs> Yeah, well, with the uh, with the technology that's out there, where anything that you type is now being recorded again, not conspiracy person, but it's being recorded. They identify, so um, they can literally have, they have search words that are keywords that come up. They don't have to search for them; they'll pop up, and that's part of the way that they find the conversations that are going on between bad guy and innocent girl. And in, in America, I'll tell you this: in America, in the states, uh, Atlanta is the biggest hub. Um, for human trafficking so far chicago is pretty bad uh even i think nebraska has like 800 missing girls a month uh through trafficking and that's that's nebraska but the uh, super bowl weekend is the biggest in america human trafficking weekend there are nfl players that they have that courts that they have that, that they know that, that this is what's going on these are nfl players and the courts aren't hearing the cases they re- judges refuse to hear the cases prosecutors can't even bring up cases in front of judges because it's all money it's money 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 and the i-20 corridor from atlanta through birmingham to um, louisiana all of that is just constantly constantly trafficked and you have so many people we live in a world now where you know everything you say that's true is now conspiracy theorists or theory and people are turning a blind eye. It's just like with the whole Maxwell case. When did we ever see the Maxwell trial? We didn't see the Maxwell trial, but guess what? We saw weeks and weeks and weeks, if it was that long, of the uh, little Rittenhouse kid that carried the gun and shot the two or three people that he killed uh, during the riot. Okay, that's fine. I, I want to see him get his justice, but you know what? There's bigger things than stupid little white kids shooting people at the riots, and, and you know, uh, that doesn't mean I'm justifying what he did, but you've got Maxwell that has everybody that was flown to whatever item that was called, but we don't see any of that. Where there's no TVs allowed, there's no reporters allowed, and it's like we turn a blind eye when it comes to um, things that we don't want to hear. Yeah, that was crazy to me because I was anxious to see that, you know, just to kind of see, all right, well, who's going to get brought up, you know, and it just didn't happen. You know, you don't, you still know very very little about that case and uh but it just goes to show you how well how well connected some of these people are that get involved in this um and it's a little bit scary i mean i i'm i'm to a point where i'm very very glad that my kids are are old and uh and not very good looking (laughs) um so that they're so that they're not uh you know 
not a target for this sort of thing. I mean, my my oldest son's a college wrestler, and my my other one just plays games. So, you know, they're they're a very little target. <laughs> yeah, I have daughters. I have a twenty four year old stepdaughter who lives back with us. I have a twenty four year old daughter with a five year old granddaughter and a one year old. Well, I don't even know how I haven't met him yet. That's a whole different story. <laughs> but right. um, I, I want to. I, Carly, the pieces. I wish that we could. Um, I wish you would patch things up with me, Carly. If you're listening, I love you. Anyhow, <laughs> and then Abby was at 21. My other daughter, she's at Troy State. Well, I'm not gonna say where she's in college right now. Uh, but yeah, you have three blonde daughters. You know, dad's overprotective already. I'm glad that they are the age they are because they're past that age. At 21 years old, you're not gonna be sold. But 12 and 13 years old, right. that's what these. NFL players and everybody else that's discussing across the country want, and you just you can't do anything. It seems like the bigger you are in society, the more money you make, the higher your prestige is. You're untouchable. I accidentally run over a cat in a town that says, "Oh, our policy since 1863 is you can't kill cats." Great, I'm gonna spend 10 years in jail for killing a cat. Right. But you've got rapes going on that you know because you have. You 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 have all those they have cameras or anything, but you have evidence of what they're doing, and nothing is done about it. And until we do something about it, it, it it's just going to keep happening. So yeah, that's my next project is heaters. Um, I took a lot out of me. Then I have um, uh, I have another project that I'm doing on my phone with some local actors in Birmingham, so that I can help them build their demo reels and things like that. So the next big one for me. Uh, outside of heaters is Bastogne, and it is about the Battle of Bastogne that took place in uh, 1944, December, in Bastogne, France. So we have partial funding for that. In March, we're going to start shooting a little bit of it and then do the rest of it probably the end of the year when we have some good snowfall. And I think New Mexico might be where we're shooting that, but I have no problems coming up your way. I was going to say, we uh, <laughs> just got about four inches of snow today, as a matter of fact, so... There we go. Everybody's well, slipping and sliding. If you have anything that looks like the Arden Forest where you are, send me pictures and I will come scout. You know what? We might just do that, Steve. I just uh, also went on Facebook to the page for Out of the Fight. I just typed in Out of the Fight movie and it came up and I liked it And uh, on my personal Facebook page. And uh, you can also find it there. Um, take a look at it. Uh, where can you also find the movie again, Steve? You can find it on Amazon, you said. And where, what other uh, avenues can you view Out of the Fight through? Uh, but it's Amazon Prime, it's iTunes, it's either Vudu or Hulu. It might be on both at this point. Uh, iTunes, there's like five or six. I can't. Uh, I think you can get it through like your PlayStation uh, if that's still active. But you can pretty much type it in if you have a smart TV and just type in out of sight. It will come up. Uh, if you've liked it and you're friends with me, like I said, share that with everybody. Yep. And because um, uh, oh, and I will say this: we have. Um, all 55, I thought there were 50, but there are 55 veterans administrations across the um, United States. And all 55 um, have one marketing, again, for lack of a better term, one marketing person that's kind of over all that. Mm -hmm. I did an interview with them a month ago, and all of the VAs want to use this film um, for the family. So they Perfect. say, hey, this is kind of, we want you guys to watch it. We think it'll help. And then I was supposed to, right before COVID happened, right around when COVID happened, I was supposed to have an event in New York City where uh, the Gary Sinise Foundation was having an event, and the film was going to open that event, but it never happened. But yeah. uh, it's definitely it's making noise, and um, people know about the 200 families uh, that are out there. Um, 
there was one from Jacksonville, Florida, that I think the football team or one of the one of the professional teams around that area put the kid's picture on the big screen and they had a moment for them. There's a mom that lost two of her sons in Santa Clarita, California. Mm-hmm. And uh, two, two years back-to-back, she lost both of her sons, though both of them were combat veterans, lost them both to suicide. And it was, I think, the San Diego Chargers did a big halftime event with her son's pictures and everything on the, on the big screen. So people know about what's going on. Um, it's talked about. The big thing now that I want to end with is it's not taboo anymore. Right. They, nobody wants this to be taboo. You come out with it. It's originally, the military didn't want you talking about it. It shows weakness or, you know, it's something new. We don't want to discuss it. It will sweep it under the rug. Now people are encouraged to talk about it. The families, even even the victims before they commit suicide, are like, we're, we're going to discuss this. We're going to erase the taboo. So now... It's just as common as talking about anything else. Well, and I appreciate you saying that because I think that is a a huge point as to, you know, where we've come as a society. You don't have to be, you don't have to face any of this on your own. You went and fought for everyone. And uh, I think everyone is is behind our combat veterans and and them getting the help that they need and and providing the resources that they need to... uh, to become whole again when they come back. So I, I think you did a great job with the movie. I, I appreciate the um, the subject matter and the, and the candor of which you presented it. And I, I think you just did a wonderful job. So um, thank you. I, thank I, you so much. Yeah. Really, really happy to, uh, to promote this. You know, we're, we're a comedy podcast, but we, we've, uh, <laughs> we, we really both believe pretty strongly about this, that, that you know, there, there needs to be some, uh, some more things like this that are brought to light the real side of, of, of the situation and, and not just the, Oh, well, you know, they're a little weird cause they, they went to combat. So they're quiet or, or anything like that. No, uh, they, they need to get the help that they need. Um, you know, and so I, I hope help, anybody or help them even or help or yeah. just reach out and help. Yeah. And, you know, so hopefully, hopefully that will help to encourage that, that healing and facilitate uh, with, our, it, yeah. with our combat veterans. Exactly. And the follow-up story <clears throat> on um, the woman that lost both of her sons, she just recently lost her third. Uh, I don't think he was military, but what I have read is I believe he also took his own life. So this mom out in California, so if there's any California listeners, just know that there's a, a mom in Santa Clarita, California. And if you want to reach out to her, I'm pretty sure everybody in that town knows who she is. So, mm-hmm. you know, don't need to look her up. Um, I won't give the name, obviously, but I mean, you can reach out to the news or the newspaper, or if there's a social media site for or a Facebook site for Santa Clarita, California. Try, try to just, you know, just be there. I mean, yeah. that that's the main thing. Just be there. Be the answer to prayer. Even if it's even if it's a few kind words or words of encouragement, absolutely, it can it can mean a difference. Awesome. Well, right. I'm honored, guys. Thank. Well, Thank you. Steve Moon has joined us, director, screenwriter of Out of the Fight. You can find it, as we said, on Amazon Prime, uh, Hulu, Vudu, all those uh, outlets. Just search for it. it you, can, you can just type it in your Google search bar, and lots of things come up about it. A uh, great resource, a great movie, well put together. Thank you for joining us, Steve. This has been awesome. Thank you for all your time. You've, you've given us almost 45 minutes. We appreciate it. Yeah, we, we don't edit a lot. We don't yeah. edit a lot. We don't like to edit. So this will probably air as its own episode. Right. Um, you know, a little off-brand for us, because like I say, we do a lot of, of 
comedy improv on the podcast, but uh, we both feel pretty strongly that this is important information to get out there, and, and we really like the way you uh, presented it. Awesome. Again, I think I'm honored. Um, I'd love to be on uh, with you guys again. Talk about whatever. We can talk about hockey because uh, I love hockey down here in the <laughs> south. Uh, you're talking Alabama. my language now. Let's do it, Steve. Anytime. We'd love to have you on. Uh, yeah, you're always welcome on our podcast. Awesome. I would say go Penguins, but since uh, their goalie left and went to Vegas, I'm now a Vegas fan. <laughs> <laughs> Understood. Where's my goalie? I love him. <laughs> He's a great guy, so absolutely. All right, Steve. Well, thank right, you very guys. much. You. We'll uh, we'll we'll send you a link. Let you know exactly when this is going to air, so you can uh, jump in and listen to it. And uh, we appreciate your time. Yes. Awesome. And we look forward to Have having you back. Week. Yeah, we look forward to having awesome. you back, and maybe we'll work together on some projects in the future. Thanks a lot, Steve. Thanks. Bye bye. Bye bye.